It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we sit down with Seattle-based performer Rachel Geyer Mafune to talk about mental health. Rachel struggles with depression, ADHD, anxiety, and bipolar disorder. In this episode, we'll talk through her history with mental health and discuss how these diagnoses manifest in her life. I was absolutely blown away by this conversation. This is a deeply personal and intimate look at what it's like to live with these diagnoses. If you're unfamiliar with bipolar disorder, I would refer you back to our episode from January of this year, came out on January 18th with Genevieve who does a really exceptional job explaining bipolar disorder and talking about the different types. Today's episode with Rachel is mostly focused on the lived experience, which I think was made extra poignant because Rachel is just starting to open up about her mental health challenges publicly. She'll talk about this as something that she has previously hidden throughout her life. Rachel is someone I know through the musical theater community here in Seattle. I was thrilled to have her come in person to my studio to record. And then, as I said, just riveted to everything she was telling me during the discussion. I think this is a truly special episode of the podcast. I'm so excited to share it with you, and we'll get to it in just a few minutes. I have an exciting announcement this week. I just learned that Spotify has actually added an integration with Patreon. As I'm sure you've heard me mention before, we do monthly bonus episodes for our Patreon subscribers who are supporting this podcast with monthly financial contributions. And now, if you support us through Patreon, you can listen to the bonus episodes in Spotify, which I think is such a cool feature. So if you look up Major Pain on Spotify, there are the episodes down below, and to the right of the episodes tab is a tab that says More Like This. And the first thing that will pop up is Host Recommendations, and I have put in the Major Pain bonus episodes right there. So super easy to find. If you're listening in Spotify, you can click right over to our bonus episodes. And if you have not yet signed up to gain access to the bonus episodes, you can link right over to Patreon and sign up. I just went through the process of integrating my Spotify with Patreon. It is super easy. All you have to do is click one of the bonus episodes. It'll take you to a browser where you can log into Patreon. And that's it. You're all synced up and you can listen to the bonus episodes in Spotify. If you're interested in gaining access to these bonus episodes, special recognition on the podcast, and even gifts, check out our Patreon campaign, patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. You can sign up to support this podcast for as little as $2 per month. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers supporting this show at the highest tier of $25 per month, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Thank you so much for your continued support. Speaking of Spotify, we're up to 33 five-star ratings on Spotify. Thank you all so much for the support. We're actually looking like Spotify might overtake Apple Podcasts for reviews, which is shocking because we've been on Spotify way less time than we've been on Apple Podcasts since the very launch of this podcast. Leaving us positive ratings and reviews on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on is a great way to support the show. really helps us to reach new listeners, and I always super, super appreciate it. Last week, we spoke with Holly on the podcast about adhesive arachnoiditis. Let's take a look at what people are saying about this episode. We got a comment on Spotify from Barb that says, Thank you so much for bringing awareness. Adhesive arachnoiditis has changed my whole life. I can't sit without agony. Driving is like torture. We need awareness and treatment from the medical community. 
Over on Instagram, we got a bunch of comments. I'll just pick a few out here. This is from Kath Hanna. Just going to listen. I'm a fellow arachnoiditis sufferer. Living with this disease is a lonely place to be. Thank you for sharing about this chronic pain condition. And from Baker Barb, who I wonder if this is the same Barb as over on Spotify. Baker Barb says, AA here too. Thank you for bringing awareness. I think people will stop calling it rare soon when they see how many actually suffer from this. Mine started after an epidural when I was 29. The ignorance and non-treatment from the medical community has been criminal. So sorry you suffer from this monster. Prayers for management and some good days. Over on TikTok, Paige comments, running to check this out. I have been in absolute excruciating pain after 26 lumbar punctures in 24 months and just told it's in my head. Paige, I am wishing you the best. That is horrifying. 26 lumbar punctures in 24 months. And obviously you have not heard of adhesive arachnoiditis before, which is part of the problem. The fact that medical professionals themselves don't know about this risk factor for repeated lumbar punctures or common procedures like epidurals or spinal surgeries, patients are not being warned. And as Holly told us last week, we all need to insist when we have procedures done on our, our lumbar spine, per insist on having it be guided, not just a blind shot into your back. And lastly, I have to thank Holly herself, who sent in a $25 donation to the podcast after her episode came out last week with the note, thank you so much for the incredible podcast and all you do. Holly, thank you so much for the generous donation. After already being so generous and open and sharing your story on the podcast and helping us spread some awareness about adhesive arachnoiditis. This episode of Major Pain is made possible in part through a creator grant from the Stimpunks Foundation. The Stimpunks are supporting the neurodivergent and disabled community. You can check them out online at stimpunks.org. Another great way to support this podcast is by participating in research studies and surveys through Rare Patient Voice. You can use our affiliate link, rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast, to sign up to participate in research studies and surveys and be paid an average of $120 per hour for your time. If you have any disease at all, it does not need to be rare, any sort of diagnosis, or you are a caregiver, you are eligible to sign up. It's an amazing program. I hope you'll check it out at rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast. I'll remind you as always that my guests and I are not medical professionals. So please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our amazing conversation with Rachel about mental health. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited you're actually in the same room as me. This almost never happens on this podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. I think besides Andy, I, w there's been no one else in person all season. Oh, my God. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm really, really excited to have you on the show today. Um, Thanks. Yeah, but... You know, I know you, but our audience doesn't. So let's get to know you a little bit. Rachel, why don't you tell us about yourself? Uh, I'm Rachel. I'm born and raised in Seattle. I do theater. So that's how I met you and Andy. Um, I graduated from Cornish here in uh, 2016. And I've just been doing theater and musicals ever since. And yeah, I'm a fourth generation Seattleite. So I've always been here. 
Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I've seen you in several productions at this point. The first time I saw you was in uh, Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah. Yeah, which you were so good in. You Thank were you. the lead. Yeah. And there's this like plot point where your character becomes old. Yeah. And I thought that you had like a whole bunch of makeup on your face to make you look old. And then yeah. I talked to you after like, no, that was just acting. Yeah, it was just <laughs> acting. Yeah, they wanted to do they wanted to do makeup. They on, wanted to somehow like gray my hair, but it just none of it ever worked out. So I was just like, I'll just do it with my voice and my body let's not fuck around with that like let's just <laughs> let's just do it without any of that yeah very impressive and you got a great voice great Thanks. great performer i'm you know thrilled to have you on the show yay thank you yeah so rachel what is your major pain so i said so funny earlier because um my major pain is probably depression and more so uh having bipolar mm. and i said so funny because you were the first person to ever say you know like mental illness like depression like that's a chronic pain and i was like what i've never heard that are you sure and i literally i went home and i googled i kid you not why mental health isn't a chronic illness because <laughs> i was just like there's just no way no one has ever said that to me before and then everything i found was like no it is yeah <laughs> and all the reasons why it is and i'm like oh shit yeah so i guess i guess mental like i i have like depression and bipolar and adhd and I was diagnosed with all of those a long time ago. And so mm. I'd say that those are my chronic pains that I know well and have dealt with for a really long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I really believe that chronic illness and mental health very much go hand in hand. Yeah. You know, the times where my body wasn't working, it was way worse if I was depressed about it versus not. I mean, yeah. almost a night and day difference about how hard it was to live with depending on where my emotional state was. Yeah. So, yeah, I very much think of, you know, any mental health challenges absolutely as a major pain, as a chronic illness, as chronic pain. I mean, emotional pain mm -hmm. is painful. And yeah. I, I did an episode uh, a while back with my friend Chris Fowler, who's a, you know, studied pain science. Mm. Uh, and he was saying that there is only one pain center in the brain and emotional pain and physical pain all flow through one place in the brain. So they are wow. like very much related. And if you're in constant emotional pain, that is chronic pain. It's just a, a, a different variety. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's wild. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So let, let's get into your history. When did all of this start for you? Yeah. So, well, mental, mental illness is like very prevalent runs very deep um on both sides of my family and so how i was able to first be diagnosed with depression my freshman year of high school um i think i was able to get a diagnosis relatively quickly because like my parents you know, also have depression and bipolar and OCD and anxiety that runs like bipolar on one side and also borderline runs on the other side. Like they, 
they can like, you know, they know how to get you the help that you need. I didn't necessarily mm. like get a therapist, but you know, after talking for a bit, you know, they took me to a psychiatrist and, you know, we talked and kind of figured out what was going on. Um, but that was freshman year of high school and definitely mental health had already been like really affecting my schoolwork and just everything in general all at once. But it's so funny and it's okay to laugh because it is so funny. But what triggered me finally asking for help uh, for my depression was I didn't get into the musical freshman year. I didn't get into Cats, the musical, <laughs> and all of my friends got into Cats. And I already was just like feeling so low and bad about life and myself that that just like triggered it to be like just go even like darker and deeper mm -hmm. and and i finally got to a point where i was like i need help there's something wrong with me because like i just didn't want to go to school for like months i just was so depressed by not getting into cats because it was so much more than cats the yeah. musical <laughs> then i was diagnosed with bipolar my freshman year of college and um my sister had already been diagnosed with bipolar my dad um has bipolar you know i was so used to just not being good not being all right until another thing triggered something where it was like oh my god what is going on with my mind right now mm. and it was something very small it was I ordered a jacket online that I'd like saved up for my money for. I ordered it, it came to my dorms and it just wasn't the right size. And for some reason, this jacket like not fitting, um, I just could not stop crying for weeks. I would just burst out in tears during class. I would not go to class in fear of like, crying more in front of people because I didn't have a reason of why I was crying but it just seemed like it was the end of the world and I'd like nothing else to live for and like a jacket not fitting like made that you know just click for some reason and so then I was diagnosed with that and then it wasn't until uh beginning of sophomore year of college when I was diagnosed with ADHD and that one took a really long time. I, I'm kind of sometimes shocked these days about how fast some folks are able to get like ADHD diagnosis. And um because for me, like my psychiatrist, like it took like three months and like people that I knew and like a parent, they had to like you know, from observing me, like fill out like these like sheets and sheets of questions about like me and my behavior and, and, you know, everyone already knew I had ADHD. So like I got a diagnosis for that. And so like I'm on medication for all of these things and, you know, have tried different cocktails of meds, so many different meds. And so I'm doing better, but I think people don't realize that like, you know, you're not going to be prescribed you know 20 milligrams of prozac and like not be depressed ever again so i'm still kind of like 
you know, just going at it, going at my mental health, but it definitely like affects everything in in my life and like everything that I do. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I really appreciate you sharing all this with us. Um, and I mean, it's such an important topic to dive into because we live in this culture where people kind of don't want to talk about these things and sweep them under the rug or make people mm. even feel bad about living with, you know, mental health challenges. Yeah. Which is so unfair because living with a mental health challenge is hard enough. People kind of not wanting yeah. to engage with you about it makes it even worse. Is that something you've experienced? Yeah. And I, I mean, um, especially with uh, the bipolar, I actually was never, ever comfortable talking about it like at all. I mean, I didn't start dating until like later in college, but like all of my partners up until the last couple years, maybe like they never knew I was bipolar. I would never really? talk about it. Wow. Um, I had a lot of friends who didn't know about it. There's still people who know me like who have no idea. Um, I just like, I just started to get comfortable talking about it. Um, because I think there, there's so many reasons. One, like being honest and vulnerable is so hard. And sometimes being honest and vulnerable about something like depression is easier because you feel like, you know, everyone has been depressed at one point, right? You know, maybe they don't have depression, but everyone has gone through a bout of like deep, dark sadness. And so th they'll get it, you know, mm -hmm. most people will understand. Um, but with bipolar, you know, it was like you grow up everything in the media like the person who has bipolar on law and order like just killed someone you know <laughs> or like the the person who has bipolar in in a medical show like they're undiagnosed or they're off their meds and so they're like tried to kill their baby it's like this insane like bipolar people are insane in like tv shows and movies in the media because it's documenting a bipolar character at, like at a breaking point, mm. you know, at, at a, a high manic place or a deep depressive state um, where rationale has kind of gone out the window because, you know, it's just not there. You're not, you're not thinking, you're not thinking straight, essentially. That's how it feels like a lot of the time to me. Um, but I think I also held back on talking about bipolar because you often see um there's there's bipolar one and there's bipolar two and you know and also bipolar one and bipolar two all of those are different in like every single person right but like bipolar one which my sister has and i have bipolar two bipolar one is usually categorized by more manic episodes rather than hypomanic episodes um and then of course you know both with depressive states but um with bipolar 2 which is what i have it's more hypomania and mixed states and then long bouts of depressive states but when you think of bipolar you think of like the the classic definition of bipolar 1 which is like where manic states have like life threatening consequences and uh these states that are very very 
dangerous to yourself and the people around you that often um, ends up in hospitalization, right? Mm. And so I never wanted people to, I don't know, think, I didn't want people to see any of my actions and like instantly be like, oh, it's the bipolar, like it's the bipolar showing. And like even with good things, you know, when I'm like manically happy and amazing, like, oh man, she's just like, she's having a manic state, you know, she's Mm. feeling a little crazy. That you want people to see you for you, not for not filter everything you're doing through a diagnosis yeah. that they're sort of layering on top of your identity. Yeah. And then you get to a point where you're like, oh my gosh, like I wish I could explain to you why I did that thing. I really wish I hadn't. Because hmm. it's it wasn't just like a quirky, goofy, silly mood. It was like, it's like the only way I can describe it is like, oh, it's like that's that's my bipolar like mm. oh that's that's so interesting yeah can you give me an example of something that something that's happened and then you've looked back on it and thought oh that was bipolar manifesting and i i regret that situation yeah i think a big one is that my bipolar manifests in like how i am as a partner as a friend as like a family member in terms of like the attention and care and love that i give someone versus like disappearing for like Mm. months and like not answering any phone call not leaving my bed like just how like i wouldn't go to school like not being able to like find the courage to like get up and go out of the house and answer my parents' phone calls or answer the 20th text that I've gotten in the last week from my best friend of all time. And, you know, and then I'd come back and apologize and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But once I let people know that, like, I, I'm i not doing this on purpose and I sometimes don't understand why I am honestly a bad friend, um, but it does have to do with my bipolar, especially because when I do come back to friendships, like, or maybe I haven't talked to the person for months or years, um, it's usually when I'm starting to feel better, which could be like a hyper manic episode where I'm like, I haven't talked to this person in a year. I'm going to call them and you know, these couple of hours on the phone, it'll fix everything. Mm. And and I just am so excited to talk to them and I won't be able to stop talking and it's going to be amazing and it's going to be great. And I'm going to fix all of my problems right now by doing that. But that still doesn't explain the next time that I disappear, right? Yeah. So there's like a, a social regret. So many, so many social regrets. I like, you know... I spend my time depressed, regretting the thing, like regretting not talking to people, but also almost regretting the things that I've done in like a bit more of a manic state. Hmm. Um, Cause I often regret things that I do in like manic states, but then I am also like, man, I just like, I couldn't stop talking that day or I was so intense or I just like, was running all over the place and like couldn't even like keep the conversation straight. I, I I was being distracted, but maybe they think that I'm like a bad friend that I wasn't listening or that I don't care or that like I 
I want to hear what they have to say, even though I was talking the whole time. It's just like this constant, like each different state I'm in, there's like regrets of how I like was before. There isn't a lot of balance at all for me. I mean, who can who can say that they're like in a perfect chill, totally content state, like all the time. I just can't regulate my moods and feelings and emotions the way that I would like to. So I'm always second guessing the way that I chose to deal with anything that I'm feeling, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. What What is the difference? So you mentioned bipolar one and two, mm-hmm. two having the hypomanic mm-hmm. episodes. What is the difference between uh, a manic episode and a hypomanic mm-hmm. episode? Yeah, I guess I can only speak for me and also from like, you know, having family members who have bipolar, but I've experienced manic episodes that I would consider like dangerous, but I would say like hypomania for me. And I think for a lot of other people with bipolar too, is like, it really affects three things for me. And I don't know if anyone else has ever said this, but I love it. It's because I say it affects my, um, my sleep, my speech, and my spending. Mm. Um, the three S's. Sometimes it takes me a while to figure out like, oh my God, like, why do I feel this way? And then I'm like, okay, well, Rachel, you haven't slept in like two to three days. I'll know instantly what I'm kind of dealing with if I will just like spend insane amounts of money in like a matter of minutes. One time I was like really manic and I bought like a $500 bench that I just didn't need. I just was online. I saw it and I was like, if I don't buy that right now, I'm going to like combust (laughs) or I'll spend like $800 just buying every single thing I have in any cart that I have like purposely not bought. (laughs) And it's just like, I feel so amazing right now. I deserve it. I'm going to spend all of my money right now like while not sleeping and while talking just incessantly, just nonstop. And like to myself, like I will just, cause I live alone too. And I'll kind of know, I'll be like, oh my God, Rachel, I'll freak myself out. Cause like, I'll just talk and talk and talk and talk and almost make up for all the time that I like haven't been talking to people. With manic states too, Like, there is this, like, feeling of, like, being invincible. Like, I'm, nothing can stop me. Like, I'm a fucking god. Like, I almost don't, like, my, I have, like, less morals, almostly. I, like, it's just all, all out the window. But with hypomania, it's not that I, like, feel incredible and my mood is elevated and I am on top of the world it's almost just like it's just i think it's just a loss of control for me um because it's not like i feel amazing about myself and i think i'm like an incredible person it's that like it's almost like fuck it like fuck it we ball i don't care anymore like let's just like go balls to the wall let's just go ham Hmm. it's so hard it's hard to describe but like 
I specifically know the difference between mania and hypomania for me personally, because like I can recognize when I've been in mania and those have been instances where like I have like abused drugs and alcohol and been really like reckless with sex and like been really reckless with like harm to myself and um, reckless with not caring how I'm affecting the people around me. Mm. Like, it's all about me. I don't give a shit. Like, I don't care. I don't care if this could kill me. I don't care if this is going to upset people. Like, fuck it. But then with hypomania, I'm, I'm more aware to the point where I wouldn't, like, go and do a bunch of drugs right now, you know? Like, I, I still have that bit of control left yeah so hypomania is maybe a a lower tier yeah less less intense less intense and there's a higher potential with with full mania to yeah be a danger to yourself for sure mania is something that can is like it's unmanageable like it has a like dire negative effects on your life in some way and hypomania can but it's not as intense like my life is manageable even in hypermanic states. Mm. Sometimes it's even more manageable because I'm like not in bed all day. Yeah, because you're not in the midst of a depression, which is the other side of yeah. this disease of bipolar is, you know. Is there like a center ground, a middle ground? Do you find For yourself kind of sure. feeling like you're right down the middle in between like mania and depression? You're like, I this this is a nice balance between the two. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes it's a nice balance. Sometimes it's not. And that is what what I would consider most of the time being like a mixed state, mm. um, which is definitely more of a bipolar 2 thing. Um, I think the biggest thing about bipolar 2 is the depressive states and like a mixed state. I kind of often find myself in that category. And that's also why I think I feel frustrated a lot because my body is almost like trying to figure out how to regulate itself and it's confused and when I'm confused I get really like frustrated and angry and I get really annoyed mm. um because I it just I feel like my brain is like I can never get a break like dude I'm going back and forth yeah, not to say that like bipolar is like negatively affecting me all the time, every moment of the day. But I think during these mixed states, I think is when I'm maybe more concentrated on why am I not regulating these emotions how I would like to be? Because mm. I'm like seeing, I'm feeling it more, I'm seeing it more. I'm like, oh my God, Rachel, why do you have to freak out right now? Like, yeah, this is so fascinating. I yeah. really appreciate you sharing all this. This For is sure. the way you're describing it is so relatable. Your self awareness right now is like For through sure. the roof. Like For you seem sure. super self aware. The way that you're describing what you've experienced, yeah, is from a place of extreme understanding in this moment. Yeah. I mean, I've been with my therapist for like almost five years now at this point, and that's really helped. Mm. And, um, my awareness has gotten better because since I've op opened up to people about it, now 
now that I know they know, like they can maybe not keep me in check, but they'll notice. And for example, like my friend a couple weeks weeks ago, like during this like little manic episode, you know, I was just like calling her nonstop after like not talking to her for a long time and was like, I'm going to dye my hair. I made a hair appointment. I'm going to cut eight inches off of my hair tomorrow. And then I'm going to, and then I'm going to do this the next day. And she was like, dude, like you just told me you haven't like slept. Like I, maybe this is a bit of a, of a, a manic thing, like not to like totally like th- make you feel bad or like make you not cut your hair or do all these things this week. But like, maybe kind of like take a step back Mm. and like look at all this and i'm like oh fuck you're right (laughs) and i'm so glad that like you know that about me so you can also help me be aware if you're in a manic state and it is pointed out to you like that does it affect the state does it like pop the bubble in any way no it just makes me feel bad it makes me feel bad and i feel like with hypomania too, like how how it is like around other people, like it doesn't really seem like a bad thing. Like I I just seem like like I want to have a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Like I just want to like be wild and like you know just have like a really good time because I finally feel good enough to have a good time. And then it's just like it's just I I just seem really hyper and like in a really good mood because if it's like negative things i like i still keep that to myself the whole like sleeping and spending and like i do that behind doors i'm not like you know telling people like oh my god i just spent like 800 dollars in like 10 minutes like (laughs) no hell no like that's a secret and then especially with like during like the really dark manic states that i've had those have like all been in secret i barely even like you know go into detail about some of that stuff with my therapist like not even my family or my friends like i feel like i'm a very secretive person as it is and it's so funny because i don't think someone would consider me a private person but i am very private and experience a lot of these feelings on my own and like deal with them on my own and so, like, all of these really dark manic states where I was just, like, I was going through a really hard time the beginning of 2021. And I just had been, like, just so, just so unstable for for all of 2020. And it was just, finally, it was, like, getting worse and worse. And then, and then I kind of entered this, like, more manic state out of like this big bout of depression. But since I just had been so depressed for like so long and was just like, just totally did not want to be on this planet anymore. Like the minute I felt like a little bit good, I was like, oh my God, I want to do like everything that's bad for me. Like, Mm. I just want to like, I just want to do drugs. I just want to be drunk and I just want to hurt alone and let's just fucking go like let's go and so there was just one day where and this is an example of like looking back and being like oh my god i i am doing a lot better now i was just like i can't feel bad anymore i just like do not want to feel anything anymore and i and so i like 
drank like half a bottle of vodka and like doing, I was so desperate. I bought like salvia, was doing salvia alone. <laughs> and and I was like, I just need to be numbed out even more. Like, and so I went and like bought a bunch of whippets and like just did all of that in one day. And then was like doing whippets for like over a year because I just, my control was just not there and like that was definitely this weird manic time of like lots of drugs and also just like recklessly dating and like not even caring about like who I was having sex with and talking to people that like I shouldn't have but I did all of that like basically in private because then when I would see people I would ask like you know I would act like nothing was wrong um and I'm sure people knew like something was going on, but like I did all of that in private and then, you know, pretended like a lot of that wasn't happening um, mm. in person. And I also think like my bipolar has really helped me as an actor in that way. Um, I feel like from knowing how a lot of feelings feel mm. and also knowing how to mask them, um, I feel like I, I say all the time to my therapist, I'm like, dude, having bipolar kind of fucking sucks sometimes, but I don't think I would be able to act like the same way if I didn't have it. Yeah, because you're experiencing this range of human emotion Yeah, that you can then tap into when you're in a character. Yeah, and it's like with the whole awareness thing too, like I, I from being like also just like very like self-conscious of how I look ever since I was a kid. Um, I think what helps with the acting too is I, I am often like very aware of like how my face is looking when I feel this way or like mm. how, just how I'm presenting myself. Interesting. So when you're in that play where you have to be an old woman, you're very aware of your face and you know how to set it yeah. in a different way. Yeah. And then keep it there for the entirety of the portion of the show where your character is aged. For sure. Yeah, that's so for interesting. Sure. I, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I was obsessed with Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> and I was like reading articles and interviews with Jim Carrey talking about spending hours in the mirror, like using his face as a tool and kind of learning how to understand his face and how to put it in different positions that he could recall at will. Yeah. And it sounds like a, like a sort of a different approach to a similar thing where you're gaining this control over your face and your body and your mannerisms and your ability to emote through being self-aware of what your body is experiencing. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah. Yeah. And I think I used to also spend a lot of time in the mirror um, as a kid too because like I was like definitely like a late bloomer and was the kind of person who like, you know, didn't ever date until like middle of college, you know, like was kind of like late on the game with like being, I guess, wanted um, romantically or like dating or just like liked by like everyone. I don't mm. know. And so I feel like I also became very aware of like just my body in itself and like how it appears in front of people. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's so common. Too. Yeah. So. I definitely, definitely went through my share of that oh as well. Oh my God. <laughs> Man, that shit is hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. That's hard. What role does medication play in this? I, I've spoken yeah. to a couple people with bipolar on the podcast, one of whom, Genevieve, I'm thinking back on her episode, and she talked a lot about how effective medication was for her. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to hear what your experience is. Absolutely. Um, and it's so, I say so funny again. What's funny too is that I probably talk about medication like the least with people I know um, or with anyone. And I think I'm. it's because like I'm just um, ashamed is like maybe too strong of a word. I feel... I almost feel bad about how much medication I take because mm. um, it's just, it's a lot. And I'm sure, I'm sure you understand. It's like, where do I even start? Like, yeah. I'm on so much medication. <laughs> right. And, and I, and it's kind of just like, well, and then I feel guilty for being on it, but like I take um, Lamotrigine for my bipolar and my dad also takes it. My sister takes it. Um, but and it's but I'm like almost like maxed out on so many of the meds that I'm on, and I think that's what makes me feel kind of guilty. But like it's brought me to a good place. Um, but I'm on like 250 milligrams of lamotrigine, um, which is like you know a good nice amount, and I've been on that amount for a long time, and it's always worked out for me. Um, but I think it especially works out because it's, you know, in a cocktail with other medications that work out for me. I can't do um, SSRIs anymore, though, mm. um, because I first took Prozac when I was first diagnosed with depression freshman year of high school. And I was on Prozac for so long, up until, like, right at the end of college, when I wasn't, I just wasn't feeling so hot. And so uh, we decided to up my Prozac and it totally had like the net, like that the horror story, like negative, like effect mm. on me where it just like made me so completely like depressed and suicidal. And then we tried like another SSRI. I don't know if like it was Zoloft that was next or like, Lexapro or something. There are multiple others after that that were SSRIs that like just just so bad. Like, um, and then luckily I was able to find Wellbutrin. And so I take Wellbutrin with my Lobotrigine, um, as well as Gabapentin and Seroquel. And in terms of like the depression, anxiety, bipolar, like that cocktail has been working out really well for me. And does that sort of smooth out the rough edges of the, you know, kind of balancing between these two states? Does it help you to be in sort of a mixed state more often? Yeah. Yeah. It, it keeps me, I mean, honestly, just like it keeps me going. It keeps me waking up in the morning and doing what I need to do 
I mean, sometimes at the bare minimum to like just walk through, walk through life. Yeah. It gives me some motivation and it, and it also keeps me, um, doing the things I need to do, like show, like showing up for work and like being prepared for work and for theater and being present in conversations and being more mindful with how I spend my money. Yeah. It doesn't mean I'm, you know, I still feel like I'm, I got the meeps every day. Um, his name, so uh, an actor in the community, he, he described, um, he was feeling sad, uh, one day and he was like, oh, I just got the meeps. And I'm like, that's perfect. You know, <laughs> I still, I still kind of, I still have some meeps every day. Right. But yeah. like, I'm able to, um, be here and function and like have people still want to be around me. Have you thought about the relationship between bipolar and depression? Cause I know you were diagnosed first with depression yeah, and then, you know, it sounds like you started medication for that and then you're diagnosed with bipolar. I'm assuming you start medication for that. Yeah. And that also half of that disease is depression. For sure. So do you feel like you're double dipping in depression? Like, do you have, depression separately from bipolar and then also you know states of depression that sort of like compounds any depression you might already have yeah you know what's funny i actually was trying to think of that this morning because i i was like of course like "Hmm, what questions are going to be asked (laughs) and it's hard to describe because like i also had before I was diagnosed with bipolar and before also being like more called out about it or called out about it in general in college, I always had really bad impulse control. And so I think like the bipolar diagnosis, like not only came from the deep depression that was triggered that year, but also the overall theme of not being able to regulate myself. And I remember one of my impulse controls was unfortunately I was like too, too touchy. Like I, I was just too in people's faces all the time and like had this awful habit of like, this sounds so bad, but like, I also was a child, but like, just the kind of person where like you couldn't put a butt in front of me and I like not be able to like slap it. (laughs) Like I was always inappropriately doing that. And like in every inappropriate time, I even like, even with my dad, like I was just like way too roughhousy with him. And I was just constantly like people, like some people would like even like cower when I would like go to touch them because they were just so used to me being like just so uncontrollable like the Tasmanian devil, essentially. Mm. And then I was the Tasmanian devil. And then I was missing three days of class in college because no one could get me out of my bed. And then once I got out, I was like, let's fucking rage. Like, I'm going to destroy every fucking building. And like, let's go crazy. So I think depression is like the state that I'm most used to and come back to. But with the depression, there is that feeling of like, there's stability 
in the sadness. It's just that. It's just like, it's just a blanket. It's just a familiar blanket that gets put over you. But then everything else, it's like, it's not familiar. Like mm. I'm constantly surprising myself. I'm constantly surprised at like what I've said and like what I did yesterday when I was in a good mood. I'm like, that was irresponsible though. Like whenever you're in a good mood, you're doing irresponsible things, you know? Wow. Almost like depression is safe. Yeah, it is. And it's so sad. It's so, it's so sad, but it is sometimes, I mean, it's a safer bet. I mean, I'm safe in bed, like totally wilting away. Mm. But, you know, at least I'm not like regretting everything I've ever done. But there is also the the cumulative effect of time spent yeah. in that state. It's so bad. It's so bad. Yeah. What what role does uh ADHD and anxiety play? Yeah. When I was diagnosed with ADHD sophomore year, I mean, it it gone to the point where I mean, God bless my parents, but I no one's perfect. I do kind of wish that they had maybe gotten me or given me more help in terms of how this ADHD had been affecting my entire school life. I mean, like I almost didn't graduate high school. Um, I The only reason I wasn't a super senior is because two different teachers had pity on me and they realized that if they failed me, I would have to take senior year over again. I'd already failed so many classes. And so just that right there that like I just could not concentrate um when I was at school I couldn't concentrate when I wasn't at school I was just depressed in bed and like my my parents were almost too much of a believer in uh mental health days when I had a mental health day every day right aka you can stay home you don't have to go to school you can have a mental health day but like you know mental health days were like half the school year it was happening again in college, um, freshman year of college. You know, I didn't have my shit together. I was so just so distraught and just so in the beginning of this bipolar diagnosis. Um, and I was I was almost kicked out of Cornish and was still like under 3.0 GPA, you know, and. I was finally being called out for things that I hadn't been called out for in high school. I was being called out for missing class. And I was also being called out for being too rambunctious in class. And um, I was getting in trouble a lot because I clearly like wasn't, I wasn't paying attention and I was just like goofing off and like cracking jokes and slapping people's asses if I was there. Finally, I don't know how I got the diagnosis. I don't know if I talked to a counselor and even when I did try, I was still getting, you know, C's while my friends were getting A's. You know, we'd put in the same amount of time or effort and I just could never match up. And, you know, trying extra hard all the time just like wasn't working out. It wasn't, I wasn't doing it. So I went in and after a couple months got the diagnosis and I started concerta and it helped so much i um it helped so much i don't know if 
I could have done college without it. I mean, I went from, you know, graduating high school with a 2.3 GPA and I ended up graduating Cornish with like a 3.4, 3. 3.5. 3. Wow. And and that med just kind of helped you focus? Yeah. And it gave me the energy to get up and go to school. Wow. Um, And... Yeah, because it, it's not like none of my meds made me sleepy at all, but just depression makes you sleepy. And and then you're sleepy and then you have no um, motivation because you're tired and you're sad. But getting diagnosed and getting on medication, you know, I was able to like wake up in the morning and yeah. like concentrate. And it was amazing and then with my bipolar it kind of makes me like not trusting of how i'm feeling and not trusting of people of how they think i'm feeling i ended up like right at the end of college i created this idea in my mind that which was not true at all but i created this idea that everyone thought that I was faking having ADHD and that maybe I was just faking it and that like ADHD isn't real. And even though it had literally changed my life and I, you know, <laughs> got my GPA up almost 10 points. <laughs> um, I don't know. My, my brain was tricking me. And so I literally went to my psychiatrist and I was like, I don't want to be on it anymore. I don't need it. I don't want it. And then my life went like downhill again. <laughs> and I was having a, such a hard time, especially with like being on time to like rehearsals and stuff and like paying attention in rehearsals. And then it was, and then it was so much harder to like, I got a new psychiatrist and then it was so hard to like get back on medication. It took mm. a long time. Um, but I've been back on it um, for a couple years now. Um, but yeah, that was just like a really good example of like, am I like, is this really what I'm feeling? Like, I just, my feelings are all over the place. What I don't even like trust myself right now, you know? Yeah. And this is a common feeling with medication in general that yeah. when you go on it and it helps you start to feel like you don't need it. Absolutely. And then you go off and then you right? realize how much you needed it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so crazy. That's exactly yeah. what happened. What about anxiety? Anxiety, I feel like my anxiety is just like everyone's anxiety. I mean, <laughs> just anxiety of like, my anxiety gets really bad um, in the evenings when I have more time to like think about what I did during the day and think about what I have to do the next day. And um, I hate that feeling. Right. I know that feeling well. It's the fucking worst. Um, I mean, just like classic, the anxieties I have, like, you know, are just, I feel like what everyone has anxieties about, like myself, my future, um, what I'm doing, like with my life, how I'm living my life, like, um, how I am as a friend, 
as a family member, a partner, just like, and really just anxieties about like, just being wanted, you know, and mm-hmm. thinking about how, how I want to be wanted and how shitty life can be sometimes. Have you experimented with anxiety medications? Yeah, I take, I take gabapentin, um, which is an anxiety med that's also used for like nerve. Yeah, I've taken it. For yeah. That. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's, it's one of those many medications that people have discovered can help with nerve pain. And yeah. I tried all of them and none of them worked for me. <laughs> yeah, dude. But now, I mean, I'm, now that I have a diagnosis and I'm on medication for the diagnosis, it's helped mm-hmm. my nerve pain. So that's yeah. amazing. And I, I only take it at night. I take it yeah. in the evenings. I take it like probably around dinner time or something. I don't take that much. Um, but it's specifically for the evening the evening tears that I've mm. oh, I've had ever since I was a kid. So it's something that I've talked about with my psychiatrist, my two different two different psychiatrists for the longest time and a counselor was the very specific evening anxiety that like keeps you up at night. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like the gabapentin helps with that. Yeah. And it's also one of those things where it's like, hmm, is this a placebo? Is it actually (laughs) working? It seems to be working, but like, is it? All I know is that it does help me um, go to sleep. Yeah. Well, that's, that's enough right there. There you go. Yeah. And it's like not an addictive medication. And so like, I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll keep taking this gabapentin. It helps me get to sleep. Like, and it seems to be making me feel better. Yeah. I would trust that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so interesting what you were saying earlier about being in college and not sharing with anyone that you dated your yeah. diagnosis. God, I didn't even tell any of my friends when I was diagnosed in college either. Yeah. None of them. What has it been like to start to open up about that? Hmm, it's been interesting. I mean, after being a chronic dater for many, many years after college, I've kind of taken a, a break from dating the last two years, which has been good. But now it's kind of like scary how used to I am just like being alone and how I'm just kind of like... Oh God, it's like, it's just so much easier if I just like do this by myself. But I first told one of my partners I had bipolar. This was in 2019, 2018, 2019. And that's literally because her brother had bipolar. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, I can tell you that I have bipolar. Because like you you kind of already know about it, right? And then ever since then, so funny. I can so laugh about this now. But the last guy that I was dating in, end of 2021, I I was just not doing well while we were dating. And I ended up like lying to him that I was sick. When in reality, I just like didn't want to be around him for a week. I didn't want to be around anyone for a week. But I just was like, I can't, I don't know how to explain to you why, because you didn't do anything wrong. I just like can't be around anyone for a week. And that happened. And I was like, wow, I'm such an asshole. And like our relationship wasn't perfect at all. But I was like, okay, Rachel, get the fuck over it. Like 
just tell him you have bipolar and like he'll understand of why you just ghosted him for a week. And so I met up with him and I was so scared. Mm. I like was terrified because I just was still getting used to talking about it with people. And um, I was like tongue tied for minutes. I like couldn't get it out. Like my rosacea was acting up. My cheeks were red. <laughs> I was freaking out. And and I was just like, and we were at St. John's. We were um, at the patio at St. John's, just outside, like having some fries. And I was like, yeah. And I'm sorry, like I've been acting this way because I like I have bipolar. And this son of a bitch, this douche, like, it's funny now. He goes, Oh my God, you're like Anne Hathaway. <laughs> and I go, I go, what? He goes, you're like in Anne Hathaway. Like she has bipolar in that one movie. Oh, and I'm God. like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. And he brings up this clip of Anne Hathaway in this movie telling someone she is bipolar. And I was like, oh, it's so funny. Like, yeah, I guess I'm Anne Hathaway. And then, of course, that like killed me. I was so upset afterwards. I was crying. I was like, this is what I get for like trying to open up. I'm like never going to tell anyone that I'm bipolar. They're just going to tell me I'm Anne Hathaway. And, and I was like so upset. But now I think that's hilarious. And if I were to do like a stand up routine, I would very much put that in there. <laughs> But it's that kind of thing. It's like, it's like, you know what? I, from now on, I'm just gonna like, I'm just gonna be chill and like tell partners and because, yeah. It's a part of you. Yeah. And if you're trying to get to know someone, I think it's important to share. Yeah. Because I think that we are living in a transitional time where mental health awareness and compassion and empathy are on the rise. And I think that's yeah. a really good thing. And you are a part of that today. I mean, yeah. sharing your story today on a public platform is a massive service to kind of helping Thanks. with the understanding and the empathy. The willingness to share and to sort of, you know, be vulnerable because unfortunately being open about mental health is considered being vulnerable in our society. I mean, it absolutely is. Oh my is. God, yeah. When it shouldn't be, yeah. you know? It should just be us kind of getting to know each other, getting to understand each other's particularities Yeah, that, that shouldn't have judgment. It shouldn't have a positive or a negative. It should just be, this is who I am. You know, I live with this really <laughs> bizarre disease yeah. where I can't walk into a room in an old building without getting really sick. Mm. And I'll just like start twitching and spasming. Sometimes I will just fall, like my legs will give out. And that's been happening to me my whole life. And I have to be so careful about that. And it's really frustrating if I go to someone's house and they live in an old building and I can't be there, you know? And I've dated people where yeah. I couldn't be in their apartments. And it's just like, we just have to have the conversation and I would, gaslight myself about it. it's like this doesn't make sense this can't be real you know mm -hmm. but no matter how hard i try to talk myself out of doing it it still happens because it's something that my body does that is out of my control mm -hmm. and everybody has stuff like this to varying degrees yeah we are all sort of the product of our selves and 
we live in a society that kind of teaches us you can't have anything like that. Mm-hmm. You have to be quote unquote normal. And if you're not, then you don't belong. Mm. But nobody's normal. Like the people that fit into that are twisting themselves to fit into it. Yeah. And that's not the world that I want to live in. You know, that's not the people that I want to have around me. I want to be surrounded by people who are like understanding themselves and becoming more themselves. And that is different than me because we are unique individuals. So, yeah. I totally lost my train of thought. I don't know where I'm going with this. Other no, than- <laughs> you're blowing my mind, bro. It's awesome. Well, I guess what I want to ask is, have you thought about this as a part of yourself and integrating this in yourself? Because there's some of the way you talk about it seems like you are holding it separate. Um, but it is a part of you. And I'm, I'm curious about that self-integration. Yeah. You know... That's a, that's an interesting question. I like, I guess right now I'm just like trying to be more honest in general about like how I'm doing or what I feel like I'm up to and maybe integrating it more freely into myself and with people is me working on, um, not looking at reasons uh, like they're excuses, but like, you know, I didn't answer you. I have an excuse to why I didn't answer you. No, there's a reason why I didn't answer you. Mm. And I'm working on, you know, looking at it as reasons that also I don't need to apologize for because I do a lot of apologizing. But ever since I've been more open with my friends, I don't have to apologize as much to them they because they don't need an apology anymore. They already yeah. know. They already know. And they already know I feel bad about it. And I don't know. I mean, this definitely is a first step into also just being like more open and just open as Rachel, who has bipolar, who's still Rachel. Thoughts that keep me back that I'm trying to work on too is I'm already kind of known in my friend groups in theater and outside of theater, kind of known as like with peace and love, a little crazy. Like that's just how it's always been. Cause I, I am, I'm, uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit kooky. Right. And I like that about myself. And like, just like in the last, like couple months ago, um, my friend, Mike, he was like, you know, you know what's interesting, Rachel, is before I met you, when I asked about you, three different people, their first response was, oh my God, Rachel is crazy, but I love her. He was like, every single person said the first thing was that you're crazy, but like in a good way. And then he was like, but it's so funny because I actually don't really think of you as crazy at all. I think of you as not crazy at all. I think of you as a very aware, outgoing person. And I was like, that's awesome. And my fear totally stems from, I'd rather be known as like crazy Rachel rather than Rachel's crazy because she's bipolar. Mm. So it's kind of like, but that's also me just like getting in my own way and my own path and destiny and my own love for myself. But that is, that makes it easier 
if people just think, oh my God, she's like in a silly, goofy mood all the time because she's so fun or dude, she's bipolar. She's like a silly, goofy bipolar girl. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. And <laughs> yeah. I, I get it totally. I mean, I used to hide that I had a chronic illness because I could until yeah. it got really bad. And then I just sort of hid in my house and yeah. was sick. And, you know, starting this podcast was my way of sort of beginning the process of integrating it into my life in a better way. And I didn't really yeah. understand that when I did this, but that's what happened. And like connecting to so many other people who have chronic illnesses and disabilities of every kind, there's so much similarity. You know, yeah. even just hit, sitting here talking to you, listening to you today, I relate so much to yeah. so much of what you're saying, even though our conditions are completely different. For sure. Um, but there is like this, there is a commonality of experience that I think is really powerful. And I didn't want people to think of me as the sick guy, you yeah. know, or the guy whose like whole personality just revolves around him being ill. And that's like what he's made his life out of. Yeah. And I really resisted doing something like this podcast for a long time until I finally felt I, the, the desire and the need to do it overwhelmed me until I did it. And mm -hmm. now it's like the greatest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's how I, um, I got to know more about you from, and you didn't even know that I was watching. Yeah, your I was listening your your podcast until I finally told you. I was like, you know, I like I've listened to your podcast, and it was so cool. Like, I just think it's so amazing. Well, thank you, and you're a part of it now. I know. Yay! Yeah, and I know that. I, I mean, everything you're saying about not wanting people to know, wanting people to take you at face value, I totally get. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very understandable, very relatable and valid. You know, I, I can just say from my experience, the more open I've been, the more comfortable I have been with myself. Mm. And it's been a very important transformation for me that has been wildly wonderful. Yeah. And it's helped me get a diagnosis and now my health is better. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome, dude. Yeah, which is so cool. So, I don't know. I I'm a firm believer that being open and transparent and being willing to share can be a very powerful tool to self-acceptance and healing. Yeah. So I'm a fan. <laughs> Yay. Well, I do have one last question for you. So if you could go back in time and say hello to young Rachel, Aww. maybe at the beginning of high school when you're kind oh of my God. struggling with all of this, but don't have, diagnoses yet don't necessarily understand why you are so sad all the time mm -hmm. right at the beginning of this process of starting to learn what's happening get diagnoses get medications which is all of that is just like an ongoing process mm -hmm. but if you go back to the beginning of this process and meet young you and give yourself a piece of advice what would it be oh my gosh um Honestly, I would just tell little Rachel to ask for help and to like be persistent with asking for help, which is the hardest thing to do, especially when you're younger. I would say struggling doesn't have to be the norm for you. There are solutions and there's support and you can ask for help. Piggybacking to this question though, it's funny thinking about that because I know that if I had asked for help and like had gotten more help with like 
especially school and stuff, that I wouldn't be sitting here right now. I probably, I mean, I probably would have gone to a different college mm. and I wouldn't be here. And that's really freaky to think about. And so I almost would tell Rachel, just keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> it's going to really fucking suck. And you're going to like really hate yourself in your life, but it gets better. <laughs> but yeah, ask for help. Ask for help. Yeah. For sure. Wow. This has been amazing. I mean, I'm so excited to share this conversation. I know it's going to be so helpful to for, for anyone going through anything similar to just hear a piece of your story. And yeah. you've been so open and giving and sharing your story. And I'm really impressed. I mean, wow, that's really hard to do. And you did such Thanks. an incredible job. Um, please tell our listeners where they can go to connect with you online or anything else you'd like to plug. Um, my Instagram is Rach Taro, R-A-C-H-T-A-R-O. I don't know if I'll accept your request if you request me, but that's my Instagram. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to be doing a show at Arts West Playhouse and Gallery this winter. So if you want to come to that, it's called Snowed In. It'll be really fun. And I'll be playing myself. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, this is the first I'm hearing of this. Yeah. It's it's um it's at Arts West and it has me and Sarah and Sarah Russell? Mm-hmm. Oh wow. And and, and we're all playing ourselves and Christian Quito and um Sarah's been on this podcast. Really? Yeah, she did an episode about Karataconus, her um eye disease. Oh snap. Oh my god, I need to listen to that. Yeah, it was way back when, I think season one. <gasps> and she, oh my god. And dude, she is such a fighter, trooper, amazing goddess. I swear to God. Like, she broke one of her contacts during the house process. Mm. One of her glass contacts. And like, did the show, like, I swear to God, for weeks with one contact. Wow. She couldn't see. And she yeah. never complained. Wow. Yeah, Sarah's amazing. I actually just yeah. saw her this last weekend or last <gasps> oh week God. or something. We, uh, Andy and I were in New York. Um, she was in a reading of a new musical and I helped out stage oh, manager stuff. Awesome. And then we went to Boston to see a friend and Sarah was in Boston for something else. So we no met up. No way. And, yeah, we got like a hotel room with a fold out couch and we all <gasps> stayed together and had a little sleepover. It was really cute. fun. <laughs> oh my God. This podcast episode is just dedicated to Sarah because she's perfect. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, what? So you're playing yourself in this show. How does that work? Who wrote yes. this? Yes. So it is, it's written by Corinne. Um, and Matt Wright, they're both, Corinne, I, Corinne, I think is the main playwright, and she wrote a show about four musical theater artists in Seattle who get snowed in, um, and decide to write a musical together. Oh, fuck. And, and so the whole gist is, um, the four of us literally are, playing ourselves like we are snowed in in seattle um and it's yeah it's me sarah russell christian quinto and uh nick hagan oh nick yeah, yeah. i know nick it's it's the four of us playing ourselves 
So if someone else did this show, would they play themselves? Oh my God. I don't know. I guess they would have to like rewrite it because essentially it was like written for us. Honestly, I literally have no idea what it's about <laughs> because um, we're about to have our first like reading of it on Monday. Wow. And so I'll cool. totally tell you what it's like, but literally, literally the only information we know is that we're playing ourselves. Well, I will probably see it because yes! this sounds like a must-see <laughs> event of the winter. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Awesome. So exciting. Well, Rachel, I have absolutely loved having you on the podcast. So fun to be in the same room. And, you know, it just, it it really makes a difference to be able to be in the same room and you yeah. know, sit down together and talk about something that really, really matters. And you did such a great job. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncie, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash Pain Podcast.